This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, welcome you guys to the season finale of season four of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Like I said, this is episode 15 of season four, and that is episode 63 overall, which puts us much closer to 100 episodes than one episode. And that makes me so happy because that is 63 episodes of you and I connecting and bringing solidarity and encouragement to the adoptive moms who are in the trenches. You know, we've all said yes to this really hard thing, and that's going to take a lot of teamwork, a lot of encouragement, a lot of self-care being poured into and just all of the things. And you and I are doing that together. And I love getting to connect with you guys in this way. Um, And my special guests and I today were able to do that as well. So, you know, I've done a lot of teasing about this, but I got to sit down with Leanne Tui. And if you guys, if that's ringing some bells, but you're not really sure where to place her, uh, Sandra Bullock played her in the movie The Blind Side. So um, she and I got to talk not only about her story, but also just her heart for orphan care and how we all need to be involved to fix this very broken part of our world. Um, you know, if, if you're familiar with her story, she is an adoptive mom of one son and she has two bio kids and she's going to tell that a lot better than me. But her heart has led her to be a writer and a speaker and an advocate for you know, the, the kids that fall through the cracks, those are her passion. They, she wants to teach us as adults and us as adoptive moms to, to find them and to help them and to uh, seek after their hearts just as we do our own. And so it was a really great conversation. Before we get into that, like I said earlier, this is the season finale, which means we're going to take a little bit of a break and then I'll come back to you in August with season five. Um, We're going to talk later in the episode about how we can stay connected during that time. But until then, let's sit down with Leanne Tui. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast, and a special welcome to my guest today who doesn't know it yet, but she has been an adoption role model of mine for a very long time. With that said, welcome to the show, Leanne Tui. How are you doing? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing today? Um, you know, I'm a little, like, I'll be honest, I'm super excited to talk to you, so I'm trying to, like, you know, calm it down. <laughs> <laughs> take, take three deep breaths, and we're, and we're going to have a great time. Yeah, you'll you'll coach me through the call, right? <laughs> I got this. Don't worry about it. I got it. Well, I'm super excited. So I know that everyone listening is probably familiar with your story, but can you just take a second and just introduce us to your family? Well, my family is probably most well-known from the movie The Blind Side. Uh, so uh, it's, it's been a crazy journey we've been on. It's, uh, we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of the movie, which is, is crazy. But um, it's been a, a, an unexpected, unplanned uh, journey, and it's amazing every day where God takes us and leads us. But um, we, we are all doing well, and um, Michael and Collins and SJ, which if you've seen the movie, you're familiar with those three names, and, and then my husband, Sean, actually, we're getting ready to celebrate our 38-year anniversary on June the 12th, so um, I have managed to successfully train him, and he is just a great husband, and so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome journey, but that's probably where you would recognize um, our name from, is from, is from the movie. Absolutely. And I love Congratulations, by the way. Happy anniversary. And I Thanks. love that. You, <laughs> I love how you put it, that you trained him. Um, <laughs> he, is, he is very well trained. He, he's, he's a great guy. I'm very, I'm very blessed and fortunate to have three good kids and a wonderful husband. So um, healthy and happy. And, you know, what, what more could you ask for? I love that. And so, you know, the next question I always ask people is for their adoption story. And like you already mentioned, you know, most of my listeners are probably going to be very familiar with your adoption story, but you know, the movie version anyway. So do you mind just taking us through kind of an overview of like your side of the adoption of your adoption journey? 
Well, you know, it's 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 an unorthodox journey, which uh, you know everybody's got a story, and this just happens to be our story, and it happens to be the one that that God kind of plucked out to tell. Uh, and in reality, the, the movie was was scarily accurate. They they hung around us, they shadowed us, um, they wanted to get it accurate. I think for that, I'm forever grateful to John Lee Hancock, who was the director. Um, Gil Netter was a producer, and both of those are godly men. And, you know, for Hollywood not to screw something up truly is nothing short of a miracle. And so it it pretty much um, tells our adoption story as it happens. I mean, it wasn't planned. It wasn't I didn't roll over and look at Sean one day and say, you know, I, I want to adopt a child. God's obviously has plans that are sometimes different than our plans. I wasn't looking to adopt a child. I knew very little about adoption. And really, we were months into it before I even realized that we needed to adopt Michael. Uh, Because truly, we were just driving down the street. He was walking down the street. We turned around and picked him up. And, uh, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know how the story proceeds from there. But Monday became Tuesday, and that kind of became our life. But what happened for me, the the, the kind of the moment of realization that I needed to do and what we had done here was when I would, like, try to take him to the doctor um, or I would try to get a driver's license or I would try to get a Social Security card, or whatever it might have been that we needed, we, we would run into to brick walls, and we would run into people going, well, I'm sorry, why, you know, who are you, and why are you white, and why is he black, and why are you blonde, and he, and, you know, I would go, okay, well, none of those questions are relevant to what we're trying to do. You're just being nosy, which I found on this journey, most people are just nosy, and so I just, but it was roadblock after roadblock, and I finally said, and, you know, then we tried to put him on our insurance, and they were like, well, you can't insure a child that's not, you know, um, biological or you haven't adopted, and, and it was just, it was those kind of, every time they'd run a flag up the flagpole, I would go, okay, this is crazy, you know, and it, so it wasn't necessarily that we needed this legal binding piece of paper um, for Michael to know that we loved him or that he felt like he was a part of our family, but at that point in time, um, it was just a step that I felt like that we needed to take so I could ensure that um, that he had, you know, um, he could, I could take him to the doctor and get him treated or if he, um, you know, I could get him a driver's license or uh, enroll him in school or whatever it was that you needed formalities for. And so we started the adoption process, and at that I, I knew nothing about it. But once again, this was a journey that God had us on so we could become – um, a, a, a person, an advocate for, or a speaker for, or stand up for people that are in this position. I wouldn't have known anything that I know now about adoption or the flawed system that we have or the hurdles you have to go through if we hadn't have done this with Michael. So it, it obviously, this is where the path has led us, and this is what we are passionate about, and this is the platform that we talk about every day, is that there are so many kids like Michael that need a forever family, that need a loving, caring support system. And that is, we're passionate about teenage kids that fall through the cracks, that if given opportunity, could you know, easily become contributing members of society. And I'm all about adoption. I'm all about if you want an infant with, you know, blue eyes and blonde hair and, and pigtails, that's great. Uh, everyone, you know, there, there's it's different strokes for different folks. And this is what our arena is, and this is just what we happen to be passionate about and want to talk about every day. Absolutely. And I think it's it's such a good passion because there are so few people standing in the gaps for these kids or even realizing that it's something that um that needs to be done because you know, we know I I, I am a fellow teen boy adoptive mom. Um and I was amazed at how little I knew, not only about teenage boys, but just about this process and how many kids fall through the cracks and where the deficits are. And so what what were some of the things that you were overcome by when you realized the the incredible need for, you know, you specifically to stand up and, and like I said, stand in the gaps for these kids, not just Michael? Well, I mean, I think the most in-your-face overwhelming was the abuse of the system 
and it, it, it is just such a flawed system. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're um, black hair or, or blonde hair or you're tall or you're short. It, it doesn't matter. Um, this is a bipartisan problem in the United States of America that needs to be overhauled. It needs attention. The rules, um, the regulations, the anything about it, it's archaic, it's outdated. And I think that I was just such in shock the amount of money that is thrown at the adoption system at this country and how it's misused. And it's such a veil of secrecy. And it's not something that people want to talk about or lunch at work around the water cooler. It's not something that, you know, girls want to talk about in their um, bingo or mahjong games or tennis or men on the golf course. It's just, it's just like almost like a taboo and it's a, it's this secret world of adoption and no one really knows what goes on in the foster care system and in daily we're just having kids that are aging out of foster care i mean i think it's the numbers ridiculously staggering uh, 30 40,000 kids a year age out of foster care and they've never had a family and they have no support system and then they turn to crime and prostitution and drugs and then we are staying there with this look of shock on our face and I'm like well, why are you shocked about this what what do you think they're going to do to survive I mean I don't understand what tell me how you think that they can survive in this world without turning to, to crime and the reality of it is if we wiped out the need for foster care in this country I think the statistic is five out of six females in sex trafficking come to the, to the foster care system. We could eliminate people in prison, the sex trafficking you know, problem in this country. All of that could be greatly addressed just by if we would turn our attention to the foster care world. And, and it's, I don't understand why all these intelligent people keep missing that. And, I mean, I've tried to get involved. I've tried to get involved with politicians. They, they, it's like... They don't want to talk about it. I'm going, where do you think? I think that there was a, the number is, is crazy, stupid, like a billion plus dollars a year is spent in this country on the foster care system, yet there's zero trail of accountability as to where that money goes and what it's being used for. And the reality of it is I think there's 460,000 plus faith-based organizations in this country and there's about 430 or 40,000 kids in foster care every year. And if every faith-based organization in this country would be responsible for one child, putting them in a loving family, monitoring it and overseeing it, one child, you would wipe out the need for foster care. So that would be one child per year for every faith-based organization. They, faith-based organizations should be able to do it because we have done it on numerous times, gone to faith-based organizations and say, we have a child that has been tossed to the street. They are considered useless. We need a loving home for them. We have, they have come up with a loving home. We have followed it. We've monitored it. We've trailed along and watched it. The kids have become wildly successful. Yes, there have been um, hurdles to overcome. There have been roadblocks. But you work through them just like you work through everything else. You work through issues in your marriage. You work through issues at your office. You work through issues at your educational process. You have to work through adoption problems just like everything else you do in life. And... And the kids have become successful. So this will work. And so I'm sitting here going, okay, why don't you just take half of the money you're spending on foster care, try to make this work, and see what happens. And instead of fighting over some of the stupid things we fight about and focusing on some of the stupid things that we focus on in this country, this actually would be a solvable problem. Now, we may not can solve Social Security issues or the national debt or whatever, but this one we could. And so I'm always perplexed. It's just always been overwhelming to me is why someone doesn't try to do something about this. And the two or three times that we have really been aggressive about it and we have tried to do a TV show about it or air the the problems with it or all the idiosyncrasies with it, people are like, you don't need, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. And I'm like, why not? So I don't know. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy enigma 
whole, like I said, bell of secrecy around this that I, I, I don't understand why we all have not collectively, as a nation, gotten together and said, we are going to handle this. Definitely. And how much of, how much of you... How much of this do you think is a problem with people not wanting to see it? And I say this because, you know, before we adopted, I I grew up in a normal, you know, middle-class family. We didn't, we weren't an adoptive family. I didn't grow up in a community of adoptive families or anything like that. So when we got our teenager, especially, and I heard some of the things that he had gone through and seen and been through, I was shocked. And I don't know why, you know, I had been through the training. I had done all these things, but I'm learning that there are so many people that just, they kind of turn a blind eye to it because it makes them sad. They don't want to see abuse. They don't want to... It's just easier to not think about it. Do you do you think that that's a part of the problem as well? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. You know, we, we're we we want everything to be perfect. You know, cupcakes and cartwheels and fairy dust and unicorns, and and that's great. Um, but but people don't want to. That's why I just said. You know, this this is not like the topic of conversation that people want to talk about at, at their lunch break or you know at dinner with their friends on Friday night. You know, no one wants to sit around and go, Oh my gosh, did you hear about the foster care kid that hadn't eaten in five days and was sexually abused or was basically an indentured servant that worked all day from six in the morning on Saturday to six p.m. Uh, you know on Sunday night selling weekend newspapers and they gave him a dollar and a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter. How awful was that? Um, or cleaning out a septic tank, or they don't want to hear that. Do they don't want to? They don't want to hear that. And, and yeah. it's not. It's not a. It's not a good situation. Now, yes, there are some good people in the foster care system that are genuinely concerned and have a heart for the kids, and they want to make a difference. I'm not saying that every single person is a bad person that's involved in any shape, form, or fashion. Am I saying that because I my path crosses on a regular basis with some fine, fine people. And they're the heroes in the world to me. They're the people that are making a difference in these kids' lives. So there are some good people. But the, that's that's really not the norm, I don't think. I mean, or maybe I'm just more, my antennas are more in tune to the people that are abusing the system versus the ones that are, you know, giving of themselves and opening their hearts and their hands to make a difference because those people are out there. And that's great. We we need more of them. But people don't really want to sit around and talk about, you know, all the bad things. And, and, and they don't want to know that, oh, my gosh, there's a kid out there that maybe I really could make a difference in his life. But uh, do I want to get out of my comfort zone and do that? I don't know. Do I want to um, take a risk? Oh, I don't know. Do I? Well, you know, you take risk every day. So it's really what you choose to take a risk on. And, and and I can tell you from a personal experience that these kids are worth taking a risk on. Um, yes, Michael is a child that we adopted and that I bought, you know, I think that I birthed him, and, and I think most days he, he does as well. But <laughs> there are other, so many other, you know, young ladies and young men in our lives that we have gotten involved with or continually. I mean, it's it's a, a very, it's a weekly, there's someone that our our pass cross with on a regular basis that we get involved with and the the norm is not happy and upbeat and loving and kind that that's not the norm that's not what we see as the norm and and i just think that we need to open our eyes and go man we got to do something about this because it's not getting any better it's only getting worse and with the opiate epidemic and other issues in this country that are going on right now it's it's they're just actually just piling on to make the situation worse and worse. Yeah, well, and I love 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 hearing the fire in your voice about this stuff because you know what we need more people like you um, and and like other adoption advocates who are standing up and saying this is a problem. You know, you mentioned that your antennas were up for the problems, but I think that that's a good thing. I think that we need somebody saying no, this is not okay, um, and those people can't necessarily be you know in the middle of the problem. It need somebody somebody on the outside needs to be speaking up, and I know that you. Uh, you know, you've made this your platform, and I just think that that's really awesome. And and also, you minister to adoptive moms like me constantly just by letting us watch you do it. Um, 
And so taking it back to your adoption story, what do you think is the best way, you know, before this was something that you traveled and spoke about, what do you think was the best way that you advocated for Michael? You know, you mentioned taking him to the doctor and getting his driver's license and, you know, we've, we've all seen the movie and stuff like that, but what do you think was the, the most helpful thing that you did to stand, stand in the gap for him? Well, I think just being there actually, and I know that sounds so easy, but these kids, I mean, Michael was in 20-plus foster homes. That's not unusual. Um, there's no structure. There's no stability. There's no accountability. There's no scheduling. It's not, you know, it's like, okay, now, you know, breakfast is going to be between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m., and then you're going to brush your teeth and wash your face, and you're going to get your backpack, and you're going to go to school, and you're going to get out at 3 o'clock, and then you are going to do your homework for 30 minutes, and then you're take a piano lesson, and then you're going to go to lacrosse practice, and then you're going to come home. That's what we know is norm. That's not what any foster kid or, or, or child waiting to be adopted knows as their norm at all. It's fly by the seat of your pants. It's maybe this will happen. Maybe it won't happen. It's always anxiety. They're always trying to anticipate what the next move will be when they really don't know because there's been no any type of normalcy at all in their lives. And so I think for us, or when you ask me that question, my immediate thought and response would be just having structure having someone that you know is going to be there that if you need something, they can help you with it. Not if something happens, like who in the world am I going to get to help me with this, but like you know whether it is you need um, five pencils for your ACT test or you need um, $2 for your lunch money or you need a – poster board for your project at school or whatever it is. You need new shoestrings for your tennis shoes because they broke. That there's somebody you can go, hey, I need something as simple as a, you got this. You can do this today. You are worthy. You are valuable. You are loved, and you can do this. Chin up, crown straight, pat them on the back, have a great day, let's go. We know that is norm. Our, our kids that are in warm, fuzzy environments, that's just like expected. They're like, well, what do you mean my mom's not going to be there to watch me graduate from sixth grade? Or well, what do you mean that my dad's not going to be there to watch me in my baseball tournament this weekend? Or well, what do you mean there's not going to be someone to cook dinner for me on Tuesday night? That, they expect all that. These kids don't. And I think that is, you know, we want to make it um, such a daunting task to adopt a child, especially an older child. And it's not as daunting as you think it is. It's really as simple as just, I mean, sometimes they're happy with a, a pillow and a blanket and a mattress and and you saying, I'm so glad you're here. What can I do to make your day better? And sometimes it is as easy as that. And it's not, and do you have to work through the process? And yes, but it's almost like we do the process anyway. They just are joining in with what you're already doing. And will it add a little bit more laundry or something like that to you? Sure, it might, but you can deal with that. It's really nothing that you can't deal with. So, I mean, I think that we don't need to look at it and go, I can't do that. I think that so many people should look at the situation and go, how can I do that? And I think that that would be a game changer for these kids because I think we can all do it. We just have to figure out how we can do it. Oh, you know what? I can add another twin bed in that room, and that would be so easy. And, you know, I can get one more um, pack of, of chicken um at Costco or the grocery store, whatever it is, and, and this is not – I can make this work. And, and so I, I think that's how we should all look at it, and if we view it as how we can make it work versus I can't do it. So many kids would have so many more options. And, you know, and sometimes, I mean, it's – you don't even have to – if you don't even look at the full spectrum of I want to adopt and make them a part of my forever family – 
just get involved. These kids need mentors. They need tutors. They just need, you might could just end up being a friend of these kids. So if you're listening to me thinking, I can't adopt, you might not can. But there is something you can do. So that would even be what I would implore more than anything is that if you could just get involved with kids, you could make a difference there as well. And then if you can adopt and you can bring them into your family, then you should. You should do that. But if you can't do that, there is still some way you can get involved and make a difference, and we need those people just as well. So I don't want people to like flip this off and go, eh, I can't adopt, I can't do this, I don't need to listen to this. Don't do that because you might not can adopt at this point, but there is something you can do at this point. Well, and we have to think, you know, there's got to be way more people that are called to this than who say they are. You know, there are way more people saying, that's not my calling. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. We can't, we can't, but someone has to. And I feel like I'm, I'm obsessed with your answer because I think it hands so much grace to adoptive moms because there are so many moms out there that are saying, I don't have the love. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the time, blah, 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 blah. But what you're saying is something that we've talked about on the podcast before is that these kids don't, they're not used to even just basic needs being met, basic structure, basic, like, I know that I'm going to eat today. And if you're handing them that, then you are handing them love. And so I love that you're saying those things, like I said, because I, I feel like what you're handing to adoptive moms is that you can do it mentality. Like you can do this. It's a lot easier than you think it's going to be. It is. It is. And and, I, and, it, and, and it's not necessarily easy because I use that word too, but it is worthwhile and rewarding. And right. as women, we are all nurturers by nature. And once that you have, I mean, I, I think within 48 hours, I had fall madly in love with Michael. I mean, it was like, well, he's always been a part of where I mean, what do you mean? Yeah, he was here, and yes, he's like he was always a part of our family. And I think that's how we are um, innately as human beings. We're wired for caring and for loving more than than not, and and that is just our innate nature is that we we want to um, be a support system and be there for other people. And and I think that that happens when a child comes to live with you. It's just like almost you was like wow. How did I not think that this was, you know, going to change my heart? Or how did I not think that this person was going to instantly, you know, be the one that I thought I've got to care for them and nurture them and love them? Because that's typically what happens. And and so, yeah, I, I think that you just need to give yourself a chance. You just need to go ahead and open that door and step through it because you will find, you will surprise yourself at the end of what the end results are. You know, you really will because you just – it's just hard not to because these kids are so appreciative and so lovely and, you know, and they just, they're just starved for, to just to know that there's someone that truly cares about them. And it just breaks my heart. I mean, it is, it, 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 I'm just like, I, 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 I got to fix it, you know, you, you, but you can't, you just can't get overwhelmed by it because nothing would get done. So you just kind of get up and put your right foot in front of your left every day and go, you know, whatever God puts in front of me today is what I'm going to handle. And obviously, you know, if you saw the movie, you know that I'm a huge woman of faith, and um, that's what primary um, is the most important thing in my life. And, you know, the Bible charges us to take care of widows and orphans. I mean, this isn't like it's not a box of check. It's, we're called to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that we lose sight of that because this is our responsibility. And these kids are our responsibility. They didn't ask to be in this situation. There isn't a single child in this world, not one, that asked to be in a bad situation. No kid has on their to-do list, I want to be homeless, or I want to be in foster care, or I choose not to have parents, or I want to live on the street, or I want to eat out of garbage cans, or I want to have never been told I was loved. That's nobody's wish. That's nobody's desire. That's nobody's dream. Whether you're in the United States of America or you're in Europe or you're in Africa or you're in Asia or you're in South America or Canada, no matter where you are, that is no one's wish or no one's dream. And they are thrust into these situations by no choice or circumstance of their own. They didn't create these situations, and they didn't ask to be in these situations. 
And we as individuals need to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, we got to fix this. What can I do to make a difference? All right, friends, I hope you're really enjoying my interview with Leanne Tui. It was just, it was so much fun and so great to get to talk to her. Um, And I have to interrupt to remind you guys of those ways to connect I mentioned earlier. So like I said, we're about to have a little bit of a break. Season five is going to be launching in August. But until then, you know, my weekly emails are going to keep on trucking and you can sign up for those at the adoptivemompodcast.com slash email. That's just a great way to connect. It's a great way to get a message directly from me and you can always hit reply on those and I read every single one. So go and sign up for the email list. I'm not going to blow up your inbox. You'll get a message from me every Monday. It'll be great. Um, the other best way is to join the Facebook community. So search for the adoptive mom community on Facebook and you will find us. Um, just let me know where you're at in your journey in the little intro question. And then I will accept that baby. And you will get to be connected with a ton of other people who listen to the podcast and, um, just get that encouragement and that solidarity on a regular basis. And that's going to keep on through the summer and through the break. So join us now. Okay. Let's get back to Leanne. I think that anyone who is doing something, stepping out in faith, following the Lord, you know, whether it be going into the mission field or adopting a teenager, that you, you're always going to have people say, oh, this is a terrible idea. What if, what if, what if? And, you know, if we're, if we're going by the movie, I know that you had that happen. And, you know, you had people say, you really need to rethink this. How did you, how did you handle the people around you? You know, you felt like this was your calling and that this was your, was what you were supposed to be doing. What did you deal with the people who did not think that? Well, I'm clearly a very strong-willed woman. I mean, I, my father was retired military and then a United States Marshal, and I was raised in that kind of you-can-do-this attitude, go-forward-strongly mentality. And so many people um, either will, um, either on my Facebook or my social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever it might be, they'll say, my husband doesn't want to do this, or or my sister doesn't think this is a good idea, or my father is very fearful of how this could end up, or whatever it might be. Well, you know what? Grow up. I mean, you've got to do the right thing. You have to take the high road. And yes, people to this day, I mean, we've had Michael gosh, 17 years now, and to this day, people will go, well, aren't you a little scared or what? I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, we're raising a society of chickens almost. And I'm like, it's <laughs> rid of the yellow streak down your back. you got to step out of your comfort zone. Nothing good's going to happen there. And you got to take a risk. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I mean, you know, we drive cars and tires blow out and people get killed and Bridges collapse and and people die in that, and we drive across bridges every day. I mean, we, we take risk every day. And, and so you can't worry about what your neighbor's going to say. You can't worry about what Aunt Betty's going to think. And you can't worry about what Billy Bob at the Baptist Church is going to say about it. One, it's none of their business. And if somebody says something to you, you need to look at them and say, it's none of your business. And the last time I looked at your family, you have enough issues inside your house that you should worry about them and not what goes on inside of my house. And that really shuts the vast majority of them up because it's the honest truth. And I, I say I've used that line more times than I care to admit. But people should worry about what's going on in their world and their arena and stop worrying about what other people are doing. And and then you as a person have to do the right thing. You have to take the high road. You have to be the difference maker. And, you know, I was a little concerned about Sean. I said, when I said, you know, what do you think about this young man coming to live with us? And, and you know, I'm blessed to have a supportive husband. And he said, I'm 100% on board. If you feel this is the right thing to do, then this is de- definitely what we need to, need to do. We didn't go into this looking to adopt Michael. We did not go into this looking to have a third child. We did not go into this thinking that we were going to become uh, a voice for um, adoption or that I was going to become a role model for mothers in this country. But obviously, a lot of that has happened. And, and, I, and we try to be good stewards of the message every day. But you should also go into this that all you're trying to do is make a difference in a child's life today. It's not what you're looking at 
five years down the road or 15. I mean, I don't know, in 30 years, um, I might not be talking to SJ, my biological kid. You don't know where life takes you. So don't look at this on a long term. Look at this as how can I make a difference today, right now, in this child's life. And if you do that and you go into it with an attitude that you're doing the right thing and you're doing all you can to make a difference, then you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. The option of not doing anything, that's what I'm trying to implore to people day in and day out is not the box to check. Whether you are taking um, chicken and biscuits to, to the adoption um uh, meeting or you are signed up to teach a child to read or you are signed up to teach a teenager how to write a check or to balance a checkbook or to know whatever, you know, that you might knowledge you could share with them. You're doing something, and that's what we ask people to do is to do something. I... I'm like writing furiously over here, the like timestamps to take those things as quotes, because I think that you are like, you know, I said earlier that you're handing grace to adoptive moms and you're also, I feel like you're handing them gumption and this, you can do it. And you have me fired up, which is awesome. Um, and so I want to, I want to take it back to, um, something that you said, or I'm sorry, Sandra Bullock said in the movie, which is, you know, that you weren't changing him. He was changing you. Um, do you mind kind of going into that? How has this experience really just changed your heart and your outlook on life? And I know you're talking about your platform and how you're talking to other people, but what specifically did you mean by that at that time, you know, when he was still in your home and you could feel yourself changing? Well, I mean, that was a true actual line that Sandy heard that was said when, you know, she was shadowing us and hanging out and, um, I think Michael Lewis had actually put it in his book, The Blind Side, because he uh, he was around a year or so writing that book. And then when John Lee Hancock got the story and he was adapting it to the screen, he used a lot of the quotes and things from Michael Lewis. And then Sandy obviously lifted them, and and she, you know, and then they put them into the movie. But it's it's that one it could nothing could be more truer than that statement because. Yes, we, we had an impact on, on Michael's life. Basically, we offered him a home and we offered him love, and, and that changed his life. And But it, it was a far, 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 far greater impact on us. He had on us and we had on him. Because I, I just think that it, we, we learned that families don't have to match. Um, that's, that's my motto. That's my mantra. That's my... That's my saying. I mean, I, I, I invented it. I claim it. It's my families don't have to match. And you have to learn to love people that don't look like you. And we didn't do that. We didn't know how to do that. We had never thought about doing that. There was no need for us to think about doing that. It was just something that wasn't even in our wheelhouse. So I hadn't ever looked around and said, oh, look, I need to learn to love this, you know, um, Asian-American-looking person, or I need to look. I, I never, that, those thought processes had never entered my mind. We didn't know. You know, we had never really sat down as a family and talked about inclusion. We'd never sat down and talked about anything like that. And so it opened up so many opportunities for us to discuss with our children how we are all created equally. And there is no difference. Our blood is all red. We're all created by God. Everyone is, has value. Everyone deserves a chance. Everyone deserves an opportunity. And that there's a very fine line between the haves and the haves nots. And that, you know, the, the haves are called to be responsible and to be givers to the have nots. I mean, to whom much is given, much is required. And I just think that we just literally had so many moments that as a family we could go, here's why we're doing this, or this is why we need to do this, or we're going to do this because of this. And we would never have done any of that if it hadn't have been for Michael coming into our home. My two biological kids would not be the people they are today. They don't know color. They don't know gen- I mean, my kids are, they're what you hope all individuals will come to be, and that's loving, caring individuals no matter what you look like, 
where you're from, what you're wearing, how you speak, that we are all created equally and that everyone deserves a chance. And and I think that's the kind of kids that we need to be raising today, and sadly we're not. It seems like we're becoming more divided versus coming together. And Michael allowed us as a family to learn about how we need to come together. And and for I'm forever grateful to him for that because if if the, if not for Michael, we wouldn't be the people we are today. That's so cool. Um, and I think that that translate that transfers uh, nicely into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. So that that kind of brings us to today, which is that you have adult children. You made it. Congratulations. <laughs> they are I all know. Launched. I have three <laughs> adult children. I didn't kill any of them, so that makes me a great mom because they have all survived to. Yeah, SJ will be 26 on July the 4th, and Collins and Michael are both getting ready to turn 33. So, I mean, I successfully did not damage my children um, physically. And so, look, I mean, here here we are, and <laughs> yay. Yeah, for sure. You get, like, all the awards for that. So... Tell, so give us some hope here, because I think that to us adoptive moms in the trenches, you know, we have littles at home, we have kids that just were like, just please don't get arrested, just please graduate high school. You know, we're, we're talking to them, like, give, give us some hope. What is your life like now with these kids that you poured so much of your life into? Well, it's it's fun, and, and there, you know, there becomes a, a point in your life where your kids become your friends. Now, you know, you'll, I'll parent till the day I die. I mean, you know, <laughs> prime example, last night there's bad weather. We're, I'm not in the same city as any of my three kids right now, and there was bad weather going through where all three of them are. And so I'm texting at, like, 1030, okay, are you all aware there could be tornado warnings, um, you know, um, Michael, you need to go into this room. SJ, go into this room. Cause go into this room. And Sean was like, they could handle this. I said, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and so, yes, will you parent to the day you die? Of course you'll parent to the day you die. And, 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 and that's great. That's what we're supposed to do. But it's also a lot of fun to send out a text and go, hey, um, let's all go to um, the lake for the weekend and let's do – you know, dinner on Sunday night and whatever it is. And, and so it, it is fun having adult children. It's, it's a whole different um, dynamics. And, and, and you do get to that point. And I think the thing I tell people a lot of times is don't wish away those younger years because I do miss Friday night football because there's seven and a half years difference between SJ and Collins and Michael. So we had him, you know, he still trailed behind, and we're just a couple years being into empty nesters now. And so we, we had a long string of still getting to do things after Collins and Michael were, were basically, you know, grown, which was also great. So I'd go, yeah, you got your brother this weekend, or you got your little brother this week. So that was kind of, kind of cool, too. But, but don't wish away that, because it, it passes so quickly. I mean, it, it just literally in the twinkling of eyes, they're, they're grown. I'm like, how did this happen? You know, how did they get to all be adults? And, and, and it's just, it's kind of crazy. So enjoy the moments, even though you sit there going, oh, I've got to get through this. Um, get through it with a happy heart, because before you know it, they're grown. And, you know, I used to always hear my mom say that, and I thought, she has lost her mind. <laughs> you know? and, and, and it's so funny, because you become your parent as much as you want to try not to, say you want, it's going to happen. And we, we become, you know, we become those people. And so uh, I tell all these young mothers, enjoy it, because it, it passes very, very quickly. And then you just kind of go, wow, how did I get to, to where am I today? I'm, we're thoroughly enjoying it. I think this is a sweet spot of life. Um, you know, the 55 to 65 is such such sweet years because, um, you know, you can still enjoy your time and go, and, um, and, and hopefully you're blessed with good health. And whatever it is, you can get out and, and spend time and, and do things with your kids. And so, uh, but you get here pretty quickly. And, um, I, I'm enjoying, I am enjoying them as adults very much, more so than I anticipated. Um, you know, I'm lucky to have three good kids, but, but, uh, it's, it's been awfully fun. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, like you said, that does give us hope because I think that, you know, when we're, when we're, talking about our adopted kids growing up, I think there's always that fear of, you know, what if, what if our relationship goes south? What if we don't keep up communication? And obviously that's different for a a kid that you adopt at birth, but you know, when it's, when it's an older kid, you're like just clinging 
to that relationship. And I think, you know, that's something I'm learning as I'm about to launch my teen is that the open-handed method is always going to be better than the, than the close grip. Um, but you know, that happens. I mean, you can't, like I said a minute ago, you can't go into it thinking, what about when they're 40, if, they go back with their biological family, or I don't hear from them again. That's like you know that have we have friends that have biological kids that that they don't have communication with. You hopefully that won't happen. You don't know what's going to happen, but you can't go into it with that kind of anticipation or that thought process. You go into this saying, I'm going to make a difference today, right now, not what's going to happen 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, 20 years down the road. Um, because if you, you know, look at, gosh, look how many marriages end up in divorce. I mean, how many people would actually get married if they go, oh, I'm going to get divorced two times and I'm going to end up my, finally my third marriage will be the happy one. I just better not ever get married. I mean, you think about it, it's the same theory. And and but people plow right on and get married and and they don't think a thing about it and this move that kind of thing. So that needs to be your mindset when you're going into adoption that you are going into it with a loving spirit, a happy heart, and you're doing what you can do right then to make a difference. And 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 I and I just really think that's so important because so many people get bogged down thinking, oh. What if it, what if in 12 years I don't talk to them five times a day? Well, you know what? You're not going to talk to your biological kids five times a day. So uh, you just you just have to do what you can where you are with what you got right then. Definitely. Um and I think that I I didn't realize that Michael and Collins were the same age, um, which means that you did what so many adoptive families do, which is like accidentally adopt pseudo twins. Um, I have a set of those as well. And even though they are five and a half months apart, they function just like twins. And it makes my life very uh, interesting, we'll say. Um, was that fun growing up? It was. And, it, you know, Collins tells the story when she speaks. It's kind of funny that when she was a freshman, uh, when, they were, when they were freshmen in college at Ole Miss, um, she was a varsity cheerleader. He was obviously playing Division One football. Both are very time-consuming and very grueling to be a student athlete is very, very time-consuming. And you don't have a lot of downtime, a lot of free time. And so she just talked about her brother all the time. And, and she they were four or five weeks into school, and, you know, she just kept saying, my brother's a freshman and I have a brother the same age, and I want my brother to come over to the sorority house and eat lunch. And she just would, would just talk, talk, talk about Michael all the time. Well, everybody just assumed that she had a twin brother. And finally, I, you know, they were six or seven weeks into school the first semester, and they finally had an off weekend, and they had like a, a day that was a, uh, they had a break. And she had said, Bubby, come and eat lunch with me at the shorty house. And he was like, she goes, look, I'm going to make you a pecan, pecan pie. one of his favorite desserts. And she said, you're going to, this is a great, this is awesome. She said, it's, it's Taco Tuesday, and he loves tacos. And so he goes, that's awesome. I'm going to, yeah. So they set up, you know, he was going to meet her for lunch. Well, Collins is always late, Michael always 10 minutes early and he got there a little before she did and he was getting a lot of interesting stares and finally some you know one of the girls said you know you know may we help you and he said well I'm meeting my sister for lunch and she goes oh okay well about that time here comes Collins bouncing up to the house and she gives him a big hug I'm so sorry I'm like come on it's going for lunch and like all the girls are just staring at him and just shocked. <laughs> and so they get inside and several of the girls come over and they go, oh my gosh, Collins, we um, we thought you had a twin brother. We thought you're, you know, you just come in, your brother was a freshman. Gosh, we just, we thought he was a twin. And Collins looked at him and she goes, oh, please don't tell him we're not twins. He thinks we are. <laughs> and, and, and truly that was kind of, the, of their mentality because, and that was one of the you know, Michael complains about things in the movie, and SJ complains. He's like, and I'm like, you know, I know this is really going to upset both of y'all, but this movie's really not about either one of y'all, so y'all need to get over it. But <laughs> the movie portrayed Collins a year younger than Michael. And he was yeah. like, well, that is just ridiculous. Why would they do that? I mean, that, why would they do that? I'm like, I don't know, but what does it matter? It doesn't matter. Um, but, no, they are very close in age, and they are very close. And he thinks the sun rises and sets on her and vice versa. And um, they have major moments and major history. I mean, 
she calls, has migraine headaches. That child's driven her to the hospital more times, and he gets, uh, you know, she is thrown up in my truck, and I'm like, well, I am just really sorry, but <laughs> so um, it's they, it is. You would not know that they were not raised from birth in, in the same house. Uh, I just I love hearing this story like from you. It's just it's just so cool because I've probably seen the movie 10 times. Um, but just getting to hear it from you is a super special. So what do you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey? You know, somebody just looks you in the eye and they say, Leanne, you need to know this. I think the one the one thing that I wish someone had looked at me right in my eyes and said would have been. You are going to meet a lot of stupid people on this journey. Ignore them and plow on. Because I really had to deal with a lot of people giving me their opinions and telling me what they thought that I needed to do and how I needed to do something. And in reality, and I worried over it and I fretted over it, and I was like, oh, I don't know. you know. And in reality, I just should have looked at him and said, Shut up. And that was a word that we didn't even allow to be said in our house, but it needed to be said. And because, you know, people think they're all seeing, all knowing. People that aren't involved in this arena don't know anything about it, but they all had an opinion. And when I first, you know, got involved, I listened to everybody. And, and, I, and I processed what everybody said, and I categorized it, and I filed it away, and then I would pull it back up and go, oh, she said so-and-so, but he said so-and-so. I wonder which one I should listen to. You know what? Don't listen to any of them. Listen to your heart and do what you think you need to do for your family and your situation and your circumstance. And 99.9% of the time, that will be the best decision that you can make. You know, don't listen to all these other people because they don't know. They're not you. They don't know what your family dynamics are. They don't know how you deal with things. They don't know how you process things. And that, I think, is what I wish I had done. I wish I had just had a do not disturb button that I could have just, like, put it on and not listen to anyone. And I would have been much, much better off. Mm, I love that. I love that answer. It's awesome. Um, Okay, so what do you wish you had done differently? Not had a movie made about me. (laughs) 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 We're going to let them make the next movie about somebody else. Um, You know, it's it's like everything. It it has its good and it's bad. And um, everyone has an opinion about the movie as, as well. And the reason that, you know, I look at it like that. Sometimes I'm like going, oh, and I'm going, yeah, that really happened. And, yeah, they really had a head-on crash and almost died. And, oh, yeah, that happened too. And and then these stupid people just will, you know, go, oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, you should have shut up to begin with because you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but, but you know, I, I, I say that lovingly and teasingly but because it has given us the platform to speak and to make a difference and, and have a voice about this. So, yes, I, I, I truly say that in a teasing manner. But um, in, in some aspects, it you are just so on display, and, and sometimes it you know people just want to get involved and jump in and tell you how to handle or how you should have done it or why did you do this or why did you do that? And I'm like, you know, it's it's really none of your business. So you know, so there, there's goods and bads, but but I don't I don't really necessarily know if I could have thrown the dart. What I've said, you know, I think that, that they need to make a movie about this. But in reality, no one anticipated this. This was a very low-budget film. They, No one had any insight that it was going. We didn't. We weren't involved in the movie. We had nothing to do with the movie. We made no money on the movie. We, this was uh, consent to write an article for a newspaper, and from that it became a book, and from the book it, it sold to be a movie. And even at that point, so many people's books sell to be movies and never, ever become movies and certainly don't become movies on a fast track like this one. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like within two and a half years all this happened, like boop, 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 boop. So you look at it, and and, I, it, and it's, still, it's still prevalent. It's still shown. It's on TV. It's in some country. It's shown every single day somewhere multiple times. And, and that's not coincidence. That's not a fluke. Um, that's not fate. That that is a God-driven situation, because people look at that movie and they go, "I can do this. I want to do that. How do I do that? I need to make a difference. I didn't realize that could happen." 
it, it validates the foster kids. They look at it and go, I'm worthy, I'm valuable, somebody's going to love me, I've got a future, there's hope, I've got a chance. It's just, it has so many tentacles. It doesn't matter what your faith or tradition or your religion or anything is, you somehow can relate to that movie in some shape, form, or fashion. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, I... It's a, it's definitely a go-to it's, I love it. It's such a good, and, and, and I think that I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's pretty accurate. Cause I think, you know, whenever you see a movie that's based on real events, there's always, I'm a curious person. So I'm always doing the Google research to like, okay, what if this was made up? What if this was accurate? And so it's really good to hear that for the most part, it was on point. Yeah, they did. You know, and the, the, the liberties that they took, um, you know, Michael gets so aggravated because he goes, oh, I was never that bad of a football player. And like I said a minute ago, you know, I know he finds it upsetting, but it's not all about him. Um, and the same with SJ because, you know, they just picked the dweebiest kid to play me. And, and I just, you know, you know, people see me right now, and, and they just think, well, you're not that little kid. Well, you know, I kind of <laughs> laugh. I go, no, you know, we did water and feed him, and he grew up, and he he's a strapping six one good-looking kid. And I go, SJ, you know, I hate that that upsets you, but, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Because John, the liberties he took, I think he really wanted to show what a – Fast gap that Michael closed in such a quick amount of time, because he, he, you know Michael studies. He had a he just had a horrible academic upbringing, and he was very far behind in a lot of aspects. And so John used the analogy of football to show you how quickly Michael overcame so many obstacles, and that just happened to be a analogy that he used. And so, yeah, no, Michael wasn't that bad of a football player. And 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 if that's upsetting to people, really, that that's what you're going to, you know, you're going to drag out and, and then, you know, whatever people say about, you know, the white family saving the black kid or the black kid making the white family too ethnic, you know what? Those are your opinions, and you're, everyone's entitled to an opinion, but no one wants to hear it. You know, that's my life. It's my story. If you don't like it, don't watch it, but don't worry about it. And yeah. so, you know, those kind of things you just deal with. They don't bother me. We just deal with them and, and move on. And, um, you know, people go, oh, my gosh, do you, do you carry a gun? Yeah, I carry a gun everywhere I go. That's how I was raised. That's what I do. That's who I am. If you don't like it, that's okay. You don't have to, but... I don't have to not be me because you don't like who I am. So, um, you know, you just deal with those kind of things and you move on. But for the most part, they did a really, really, really good job with it, probably as well as any, you know, movie ever done. They did, you know, sure, they took a few liberties, but not not as many as, as they could have. And, and, you know, for that, we're very appreciative. I love that. And, you know, I have to say, as a as a Razorback, we are very grateful to have SJ up here, and we're grateful that he has kind of come into his own and that he's not that little dweeby kid that he thinks was portrayed. No, and so. he is not. And the Razorback Nation has been so great to him, and we have loved it. He has loved it. Um, it's You know, I've been to Fayetteville numerous times, cheered there, Michael and Collins, you know, both you know, Collins cheered, Michael played, and Sean played basketball. We were always in and out, in and out. You'd, you'd get there, go to your sporting event, and you'd leave. And so, obviously, we clearly have gotten to spend a large amount of time up there in the last year or so. And um, what a great community and what a great area. And we've loved it, Fayetteville, Bentonville, Rogers. All that area is just its awesome. And so it, that has truly been a wonderful experience for SJ, and um, and he's very very happy there. And you know when your when your kid's happy, you're happy. So that's that's a good thing. Definitely, and we're grateful to have him. Um, so okay, last question: If you could just sum it all up into one piece of uh, you know advice or encouragement to adoptive moms, what would you say? I think the one encouraging thing that I would tell any adoptive mom is that. We all have the ability to make a difference, and adoptive moms more than anyone. And give yourself a chance and take that leap of faith and step out of your comfort zone. And I think in the end that you are the one that is going to reap the reward and the benefit far more than anyone else will. And it is scary, and you go, oh, my gosh, it is seven steps up and eight steps back. But it will be one of the most gratifying things that you do knowing that you have been the reason that someone smiles, that you have changed a life, 
and that you are that change and and it, you're needed and I, I cannot tell you how amazing it is to be the person that is the reason that someone finds joy, happiness, opportunity, and and uh, uh, the realization that they are of value and that they're worthy. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, good stuff, Miss Leanne Tui. I'm so grateful to you for coming on the show and just sharing your wisdom with us and being that advocate. You know, I know you said that you never sought out to be a role model or an advocate for adoptive moms, but I'm I'm grateful that you let us come along even over social media. And thank you for speaking to my audience and just giving us some encouragement and some hope for this crazy adoption world that we're all a part of. Well, thank you for having me and blessings to all. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.